Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 255 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. A chilly east wind continues to blow and it's disrupting my early inspections. We start, we stop, we start again. Listen in to hear how it's affecting my early season. Beekeeping Short and Sweet, a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span. A beekeeper, in fact, just like me. Hi everyone, welcome back to my podcast. If you've seen my recent videos, you'll know that my predictions of the start of our beekeeping season have been somewhat premature. I've been sorting this week's podcast with temperatures generally below average for the time of year, And as I said in my introduction, it's a start-stop-start-again kind of early season. We've only really just completed one round of inspections, and those have been brief to say the least. I'm sure everything will catch up, but it is frustrating, especially with so many of our colonies still being quite small. I mistakenly called the start of the new beekeeping season in one of my recent inspection videos. That turned out to be the only decent day that we could get into the hives to have a first look. That said, today hasn't been too bad, but the weather is turning cooler again next week with potentially overnight frosts predicted. And the early part of next week is going to be below average again for the time of year. It does look as if, once we're through that sudden dip in temperature, the daytime values start to move back upwards, and, with a little luck, by the time next weekend arrives, we'll be into some double-figure daytime temperatures and able to get some inspections done comfortably. That's comfortably for both us and the bees. It can be quite challenging when you're inspecting colonies in cooler weather conditions, I was at our fishing lakes apiary this week, checking on a few nukes that we've prepared for sale, one of which is very strong, but they really didn't like being opened up in the cooler conditions. Lucky that I did check them though, because they had several swarm cells charged and developing quite nicely. This particular nuke is very ready to be moved into a full-sized hive, and I think once that happens they'll settle down and grow quite quickly. They were from a particularly productive colony last year, so I'm hopeful the lucky beekeeper that gets this nuke will fill a brood box quickly and then have at least one full super of honey off the summer flow. Locally, the oilseed rape crop is beginning to flower at our apiaries, but it also seems to have been held back by a combination of late drilling last year and the cooler weather conditions this spring. But it's amazing just how much variation I'm seeing around and about on my travels. Some fields are in partial bloom, while others appear to be in full flower. We now hit the start of the swarming period too, and having carried out just one round of inspections, I am concerned we may find several colonies with swarm cells when we get into them next week. 
It's been another busy week despite the lack of inspections. We've been moving equipment around, trying to get empty supers out into the apiaries and all of the dirty equipment over to the workshop in order to get that cleaned, ready for reuse later this spring and summer. I also need to get our second-hand poly kit over to the workshop for some running repairs and a quick paint job. Moving kit out of the grain store has pretty much left it empty and as a result I've decided that actually we can manage with just the workshop and the unit here in Norwich. It's going to save me a massive amount of money that I can ill afford to spend right now so I guess that's what they call a win-win. I've had a visit down into Essex this week too. The commercial colonies have all gone now, collected last Tuesday. No, that was a very long day indeed. We left Norwich around 5.15am in order to get to the meadow in good time to strap and block the hives ready to be collected. It's amazing how long all of that kind of stuff takes. I find the easiest and most practical method of blocking up the entrances of these hives is by using a short strip of foam sponge, cut to length and poked into the gap in the entrance block with a hive tool, it prevents the bees from escaping as they do when the entrance block is taken out and rotated. Once they've been relocated, it's an easy enough task for the beekeeper to walk around and tug the foam out of the entrances to release the bees once more. Strapping the hives is the more time-consuming process. We tend to use two cantilever-type straps. These consist of the webbing strap fitted to a short metal locking mechanism, which, when pulled over the strap, tightens down and secures everything in one simple movement. It's an easy piece of kit to use once you've got the hang of how the webbing strap fits into the metal locking mechanism a process which seems to confound even the most intelligent beekeepers sometimes. We actually had to transport the hives from the meadow up to the roadside field and farm gate as the tracks were still so wet and muddy. The soil in this part of Essex is quite heavy clay soil and with a fair old drenching in the previous weeks there's been quite a number of puddles forming and the ranger certainly needed its four-wheel drive ability. I think Steph got a little worried at one point as the truck, with 12 hives on board, started to slide uncontrollably towards one of the water-filled ditches before finally gripping the track surface and pulling us through. All good though, bees safely loaded onto the new owner's trailer before heading back for us to tidy the apiary, stack the pallets and then head over to the farm office to meet up with the farmer who also happens to be our main borage grower. Frustratingly, he doesn't see the value in having our bees on site to pollinate his crops enough to even consider paying me for the service. He is of the opinion that we get a honey crop from his borage and therefore we're rewarded more than adequately. I kind of get the feeling that he's also the kind of farmer who would even consider charging us for the privilege of putting our colonies on his land. The problem with this arrangement, purely from a bee farming business perspective is that there are more beekeepers out there wanting to put bees on borage so if not us then someone else would be willing to step in and replace us so he kind of has us over a barrel 
All that said, he does have plenty of borage for us to pollinate this year, so we should be able to develop a decent crop of honey, as all of his land is irrigable, so we shouldn't have the challenges we did last year with crops basically drying out and failing. Of course, all of that depends on us getting our colonies up to full strength and being ready for the summer nectar flow. I can't really see us taking a spring crop talking of honey flows, certainly not this year now. I know that seems a bit premature to be predicting that, but it's all about timing and the development of colonies in early spring. It's why we feed fondant and pollen sub. Actually, this year, we fed pollen back to our bees that we collected last year. And in some cases, that's worked really well. But for a lot of our colonies, they're still quite small. And whilst they may well grow nicely into spring and early summer, they simply won't be large enough in terms of foraging population to bring back an excess of nectar to make any kind of decent honey crop as we had last year with the hawthorn and oilseed rape. Lucky that we had such a great season for honey last year. I was once told by an old sage of a beekeeper to make sure to hold on to at least a year's worth of honey so as not to disappoint any stockists we have. Well, I followed that advice, not strictly, but we do have plenty of honey still in stock to cover this season's lack of crop from the spring. If you are supplying any local shops, do make sure to hold on to enough of your stock to keep them going. If you haven't got any, there's bound to be another beekeeper locally who has, and you could lose that outlet. Thinking back to the whole spring inspection situation, now, or rather that brief spell when you find a calm, warm moment in the day to check in on your bees, is a great time to spot your queen. This is a particularly enjoyable part of beekeeping for any beekeeper, whether you have one hive or 100. Now, I accept that not all beekeepers with 100 colonies are going to head into their apiaries thinking, today I'm going to look for my queens, but sometimes when you're not specifically looking for her, she pops up and it always brings a smile, maybe an inward smile. Plus, bee farmers wouldn't want to get a reputation for enjoying what we do. It's hard work, of course, and business after all, but every now and then, it's a pleasure to spot her. Of course, it's also an opportunity to mark the queen and to clip if that's what you prefer to do. Springtime is one of those times where it's best to mark the queen. And there's a couple of reasons for this. Firstly, it's a period in the beekeeping year when there are generally fewer bees in the brood box, thus making it a little easier to spot the queen. Secondly, and here I'm thinking worst case scenarios, if you happen to get a little gung-ho with the marking pen, tipex or nail varnish and the bees either reject her because she's been damaged and I have to say some of those queen marking implements do look like torture instruments but if she's damaged or the nail varnish has basically covered her from tip to tail and she dies there's an increased chance at this time of the year that the colony can replace her now rather than if you happen to try marking her in the very late autumn, for instance. On that subject, if you do find you have a new unmarked queen in your colony this spring, don't mark her until you've confirmed she's laying worker eggs. Those are the fertilised ones, remember. Don't mark her before that point, and certainly don't mark her before she's been out on a mating flight. 
dare I say, also don't clip her until she's back and laying eggs. Otherwise, it could be disastrous unless you need plenty of drones in your apiary. Talking drones, there appear to be a reasonable number of drones at the moment. I've seen quite a few in those colonies I have been able to get into. A vital part of the well-rounded colony and a must for any queen-rearing apiary. We're actually awaiting stock of drone foundation. Unfortunately, due to a technical error, not mine I hasten to add, we are a bit late in getting drone foundation into our colonies. This year, I'm using it in two ways. Firstly, and somewhat obviously, I need plenty of drones in our queen-rearing apiary. The more boys we have, willing and able, as it were, the more successfully mated our home-raised queens will be. The second reason for using drone brood is as a mechanical means of trapping varroa mites, which we've used in previous seasons with some success. The less chemical intervention we can use, the better, I think. Thinking about the drones for the queen-rearing apiary, we do need to get a shift on. If I can get some wax into frames next week and into the colonies at the apiary over the weekend, it's still going to be around a week before the wax gets drawn sufficiently for the queen to lay in, and then something around 45 days before those drones are sexually mature. That, believe it or not, is going to be the back end of the second week of June. There will of course be drones around that will head off to mate with newly raised queens anyway, but if you're trying to stack the odds in your favour by securing a combination of genetics from your drones in particular that you want, you do need to flood the area with them. I guess we can practice with the new setup that we have until that point and then see what happens. The plan for queen rearing this year is to select a couple of our own colonies that we're happy with in terms of performance and colony traits. So calmness, brood pattern, running on the frames being some of those highest priorities. It would also be nice to add honey production to that list, but the longer the list, the more difficult it is to control. So perhaps we just go for calmness to start with and see what else we end up with. I do find the calmer bees tend also to be the ones that are less likely to run around all over the frame. So maybe there's a genetic connection there. A couple of final thoughts today before we finish up. If you're just getting started with a nuke and it's your first beekeeping season, don't be in too big a hurry to move them into a hive, particularly if the weather is still chilly where you are. Local conditions vary as much as the traits of the bees from box to box. It may be warm sunshine here, obviously in my dreams, but warm here doesn't necessarily mean it's warm where you are. As long as the nucleus colony has room to develop, has food to keep them going and isn't throwing up swarm cells, then you're probably going to be fine for another week or so. The absolute best advice I can give you is to seek advice from the person you're buying your nuke from. They should have checked them out and made sure that they're ready to be handed over so they will know the state of the colony and should be best able to advise. Do take a look also at my video series of transferring a nuke into a full-size hive and the weeks that follow where I show what you should look out for on a week-by-week -week inspection. Sometimes it can seem like there are so many things to think about when you're just getting started in beekeeping with your first colony and you're trying to do everything right to give your bees the best start that you can. What I would say is 
don't panic, take things one week at a time, and I'm sure they'll do very nicely for you this season. Well, that's it for this week. It's time for me to get my bee suit in the wash. I'm off to our association apiary this afternoon. That's Sunday afternoon. Hopefully for a cup of tea and a slice of cake. That's if Lorraine's baking. She does make exceedingly good cakes. I'll catch up with you all again in a week's time. Don't forget to check out my website, www.norfolk-honey.co.uk. And for my latest videos and podcasts, With more updates, tips and techniques, it's the same Patreon page, www.patreon.com forward slash Norfolk Honey. And remember, I'm Stuart Spinks, and that was beekeeping short and sweet.